0: Jesus tells us in the Bible of the parable of a merchant looking for fine pearls, and how this is similar to finding the kingdom of heaven. When you find the kingdom of heaven, your salvation is like a precious pearl. There is nothing more valuable than security for your soul. Just as in the parable when the merchant found just one pearl, he sold all he had to purchase it. This is Precious Pearls Radio with Sister Dana Rankin. Welcome to Precious Pearls Ministries Radio on the Resilient Christian Radio Network on a worldwide stage for our Lord Jesus Christ where we share the blessed Bible and the blessed hope. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Today is August 23rd 2018 and thank you for taking the time to listen in today. I am blessed by your faithfulness to our Lord and to this podcast. If you have any prayer or topic request that you would like to share with us, please send it to Precious Pearls Ministries Radio at rcrnetwork.com. You can send me prayer requests there and they will always kept, be kept confidential and I will definitely pray for you on an ongoing basis. And I would ask that you pray for this ministry and this station to continue to share the gospel worldwide. First, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into Part 2 of our lesson, the continuation of our lesson from last week, the days of Noah, how the flood days are repeating themselves in our time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus Christ's holy name. We surrender ourselves to you, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Your word says in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, to call upon you, and you will show us great and mighty things that we do not know. Lord God, we come to you and cry out. We surrender all to you. We call unto you, God, creator of heaven and earth. We ask you to show us great and mighty things of the unfathomable riches of your glory and splendor. All that you are, help us and cause us to plumb the depth of your being and know you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. Blessed be your holy name. Amen. Now, last week in the lesson, that we did, the podcast lesson that we did was the Days of Noah. And it was talking about how the pre-flood days are repeating themselves in our time. And that is so true. So we talked about a gross defilement of the human conscience. And we stated at the end of the message on the podcast last week that the only cure is God's intervening judgment. And that is exactly right. There are so many things that you see on the news that are just shocking now that you just wonder... What happened to that person to make them do that? And what the thing is, it's sin. That's where everything derives back from. So let's get into the lesson, um, the message today uh, about the days of Noah. And it's talking about the exaltation and reverence of heroes. The giants in the days of Noah were mighty men and men of renown, Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. In other words, they were the heroes of the world. While embracing deism by keeping God far off at a safe distance, people looked elsewhere for greatness and found it in the giants. Rather than lead simple lives in obedience to God, they chose to seek out men to idolize. A good example of this appears later in the book of First Samuel, when the giant Goliath makes his mark on the pages of scripture. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath the champion, the Philistine of Gath. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. First Samuel 17.4, 17.23, and 17.51. Goliath was not just a giant. He was a champion, a hero among the Philistines. Things were much the same in the days of Noah, except there were many giants around. Probably every town or community had a giant or two that they idolized and trusted for leadership and defense. Being nothing less than idolatry, this is one of the things that provoked God to wrath and brought on the flood. And that certainly matches our day and age, because hero worship goes hand in hand with deism. Once people cease to maintain a personal relationship with the covenant God of the Bible, they begin to create all sorts of false gods, whether they call them such or not. The words OMG, it's Brad Pitt, or OMG, it's Britney Spears, speak volumes. Their God isn't the God of the Bible. It's the God of the latest movie or television series, the latest hit song, or the latest sporting event. The lie that Elvis is alive, Michael Jackson is alive, will spark great interest with many people. But the truth that Jesus is alive will put people to sleep. If you wear a Christian t-shirt that conveys the gospel message, you're a fanatic or a Jesus freak. But if you wear a t-shirt promoting the latest rock idol, Pink Floyd or... Led Zeppelin or Grateful Dead, those are older ones, but now it's like, uh, I don't even know the names of these people, but like Nirvana, Slipknot, uh, you're hip and cool if you do that. Like Maroon 5 and Lady Gaga, these people, Beyonce, you see them all over and they idolize these people. Beyonce even has a church, like people go and worship her like she's some goddess or something and she is totally demonic um that's why her voice is like it is that's why she is just the videos that she has on youtube are very blasphemous and awful it's really sad um but that's the way of the world to reject the holy god of the bible and to exalt humanistic and sinful heroes the angels that came down in the days of Noah weren't just angels, they were also spirits, according to Psalm 104.4 and Hebrews 1.7 and Hebrews 1.14. So, with the descent of the fallen angels, the world experienced the descent of fallen spirits. We also read in Psalm 78.49 that God can send evil angels into a society. This is apparently what happened prior to the flood, and it played a major role in bringing to the world to the point where it was filled with violence and evil continually, Genesis thirteen. This also matches the world condition today. Before the Lord pours out his spirit on all flesh in Joel 2.28, the devil will pour out his spirit. The scriptures are quite clear about this. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Revelation sixteen thirteen 13-14 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times shall, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 1 Timothy 4, one. Since the late 1800s, Spiritism has experienced steady growth throughout the world, with the year 1881 in particular being a milestone year in the occult, and also the year that England produced the revised version of work based on the work of Westcott and Hort, Men Who Had Occult Affiliations. Consequently, the Holy Spirit refuses to bear witness to every translation since that time, since they're all based on Westcourt and Hort's work. As Ripplinger so well titled her monumental book, the New Perversions truly are New Age Bible Versions. Whether it be Hollywood, bewitching society with Charmed and Harry Potter, Led Zeppelin recording an album in the home of a Satanist, Mick Jagger, singing Sympathy for the Devil, a kid playing with his Power Rangers or some open-minded American playing around with Buddhism, it's all the same stuff, and it's all satanically inspired. It's the greatest outpouring of unclean spirits since the days of Noah, and it's only going to get worse until Jesus returns. It's not without significance that man finally got around to walking on the moon in 1969. With the moon typifying the church, there had to be a symbolic moment that represented the world conquering the church. With the 1960s being the decade of the Kennedy assassination, the British invasion of the Beatles, where John Lennon said that they were more popular than Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Prayer and the Bible being thrown out of the schools, civil rights marches, the King assassination, Woodstock, the Manson family murders, the Vietnam War, and peace marches. It was quite appropriate that the decade of destruction be capped off with man stomping his sinful feet around on the moon, which is a type of the church. Psalm 610 and Psalms 8937. So that's Song of Solomon, chapter 6 verse 10. And Psalms 89:37, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. So by the time the tumultuous 60s were over, people were so poisoned by worldly philosophies, Colossians 2, 8, worldly music and worldly causes, that there was no way the church would stay pure. Just as the Sethites were eventually conquered by the Canaanites in Noah's day, the church has been conquered by the world. About the only things left to be done are further apostasy and judgment. As a pastor used to say, his name is Lester Roloff, we Bible believers are just the mopping up crew. Having covered the days of Noah preceding the flood as a type of our own day and age, let us now move on to the ark itself. If the flood was a type of the second coming of Christ, as Enoch declared in Jude 14, then the means of preservation through the flood of the ark must picture Christ himself, because it is Christ only that preserves the saints. As we shall see, studying the ark as a type of Christ makes for an interesting study. Noah's family escaped judgment by obeying God and building and boarding the ark. So it is with Christians today. By receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, believers will enjoy the benefit of escaping God's judgment by going up in the rapture. So the ark is a type of Christ in that it was a way of escaping judgment. Everyone in the Ark was saved and everyone not in the Ark was lost. There was no exceptions. No one was permitted to board the Ark of their own choice. They had to accept the fact that Noah was right and everyone else was wrong or they had to drown. Their feelings and opinions were irrelevant. All that mattered was being in the Ark just as one must be in Christ today. There wasn't anything visibly appealing about the Ark. It was just a big ugly floating box. It wasn't designed for looks at all. It was designed as a means of preserving life and nothing more. Noah probably could have gained a few more passengers had he given the Ark a nice paint job and in today's times like hired an interior decorator. But that wasn't God's plan. He knew that serious believers would board the ark for righteous reasons only. A sinner doesn't receive Christ because Jesus is attractive. In fact, Isaiah 53, 2 says that he has no comeliness or beauty that we should desire him. A sinner comes to Jesus because he needs to be saved from judgment, and only Jesus can save him. Nothing else matters. Being larger than a football field, the ark was not a small vessel, so people could see it easily, and they had many years to talk about it, hear about it, and then make plans to board it. When it came time to board the ark, no one had to climb up the wall or do any running or jumping. They simply had to walk through a door that God had provided in the side of the ark. Those who drowned in the flood did so by their own choice. They chose to not walk through a door that God had provided. Today, Jesus is the door of salvation, John chapter 10, verse 9, and people choose to either walk through the door or to attempt some other means of obtaining salvation. They choose to reject or receive Jesus Christ as Savior. The Lord is not willing that any should perish in 2 Peter 3, 9, so he provides means for taking the gospel message into all the world. Those who end up in hell do so after making a conscious decision to reject Jesus Christ. It's interesting too, that God had Noah make the ark's entrance in the side genesis six sixteen God provided Adam with his bride by cutting an opening in his side and taking a rib genesis chapter two verse twenty one to twenty two and Jesus was pierced in the side with a spear John chapter nineteen verse thirty four Adam had an opening in his side Jesus had an opening in his side and the ark had an opening in its side. Consequently, John, a type of the church, was sitting at Jesus' side and even leaning on his breast at the Last Supper, John thirteen twenty five. Genesis chapter seven sixteen tells us that when Noah entered the ark, the Lord shut him in. Furthermore, the ark was made with weather-resistant gopher wood and then sealed with pitch, Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. The water stayed out and the people stayed in until God was ready for them to come out. Likewise, we are told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, that Christians have been sealed until the day of redemption. Unlike most Sunday school and Bible story illustrations, the ark looked more like a large coffin than anything else, which is not without significance. When Noah and his family boarded the ark, they became dead to the world by giving it up totally. Yet God rewarded them greatly by giving them a much better world. So it is with believers today. Jesus said, And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. Once Noah's family boarded the ark, they were totally at the mercy of God. They could go and do as they pleased as they went about their daily lives on land, but they could only go where God wanted after boarding the ark. Like the swimmer of Ezekiel 47, 5, their feet were no longer on the ground. They were fully at the mercy of God's will. Is this not how God wants those in Christ to live, being led by the Spirit and not by the flesh? Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Truly, our heart's cry should be, Not my will, but thine be done. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Think of the gopher wood from which the ark was made. Every piece of wood in the ark started as a seed. Then it was part of a tree which was cut down. Then it was picked up and used to save people. Jesus said in John 12, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Although Jesus certainly performed some great works during his earthly ministry, his greatest work wasn't performed until after he was cut off, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 8, and Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, and then raised up to give new life to all believers. God could have had the angels build the ark, or he could have saved Noah and his family without an ark at all, yet his choice was to be glorified by Noah's faith and obedience in having him build the ark. The same is true with the saving of men. God chose to use Mary in bringing his son into the world. He then used Mary and Joseph to preserve his son through childhood. After Jesus began his public ministry, God used humble believers to bear witness to his message and convince even more sinners to believe. Then he used people to bear witness of Jesus through the crucifixion. He used people to bury Jesus, and finally, he used people to preach of Jesus' resurrection. In Genesis chapter 7 verse 17 it uses some very interesting words in connection with Noah's ark. The verse says, "And the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and bare up the ark and it was lifted up above the earth." That's quite significant in light of what Jesus says in John 3:14, "And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of man be lifted up." Like Jesus, the ark became a savior when it was lifted up. In fact, the ark lifted up Noah and his family and then set them back down when the flow was over, just as Jesus will lift the church out of this world when the rapture happens and then set us back down in the second event. We leave this world in Revelation 4, one, and then return to it in Re- Revelation 19.11. Like Jesus, the ark made two appearances on the earth. Just as Jesus grew from a baby into a grown man, the ark grew from a few boards into a massive vessel as Noah and his family built it. Then according to Genesis 8.4, the ark appeared on the earth the land, a second time after the flood on a mountain. The Mount of Olives is the location of Jesus' second advent in Zechariah 14.4. At his first appearance, the ark, like Jesus, just allowed everyone to mock and do as they pleased, but there was no one around to do any mocking at his second appearance. Noah and his family started out as a minority, but then ended up as a majority. So it is in the second coming of Christ. And after the flood was over, there were only four living men who an eye, who could give an eyewitness account of the great flood. Likewise, God chose to use the accounts of four men to give the world the gospel record of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Noah and his family were not removed from all knowledge and presence of God's judgment. They were not permitted to get into the ark and then sail off to a new and innocent land, they were required to be inside the ark and have full knowledge that God's judgment was hitting the ark with a vengeance no doubt this caused them to appreciate God's salvation even more likewise God's judgment hit Jesus Christ as salvation i'm sorry at calvary the waves of God's wrath hit Jesus psalms chapter 69 verse 1 to 4 and psalms 88 verse 7 they do not hit those of us who are in Christ Jesus he took the waves we take the salvation And we're told in Genesis chapter 6.16 that the Ark had three stories. In fact, the third story had a window through which Noah's family could see. Those in Christ also have three stories, a soul, a body, and a quickened spirit, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, which serves as a window that allows us to see spiritual things. The third story of the Ark pictures the Christian having his affection on things above, as Colossians 3 verse 2 commands. While millions of lost people sank into the floodwaters, eight people were pushed higher than they had ever lived before. The Christian doesn't view hardship and suffering as the world views it. While the world becomes bitter at God because of affliction, the faithful Christian claims Romans 8.28 and grows closer to the Lord while living on a higher spiritual ground. Noah and his family were in the ark for over a year, yet nothing is recorded of any of them committing a sin. Yet, after leaving the ark, Ham committed a grievous sin against his father, Genesis chapter nine verses twenty one to twenty five The lesson here is obvious when we abide in Christ, John chapter fifteen, verses one through eight, we live holy lives and bear fruit. When we wander away from Christ, we become entangled with the thorns and thistles of sin. Remember, the prodigal son didn't sin until he had wandered away from his father in Luke chapter fifteen. In addition to Noah's family being spared in the judgment, the animal kingdom, the animal kingdom was also represented in redemption by being preserved through the flood and then being permitted to repopulate the earth. This points to the curse of nature being removed from the earth in the millennial kingdom of Christ when the animal kingdom enjoys peace and security along with mankind. Romans 8 to says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. With the number eight being the number of new beginnings in the Bible, eight people stepped out of the ark in Genesis chapter eight and made a new beginning in the new world, along with a ship full of animals that picture the promise of Romans chapter eight. A good companion passage is Isaiah chapter 11, verses six through nine. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leper shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In addition to the animals on Noah's Ark picturing the peaceful animal kingdom of the millennium, they also picture people from the Gentile nations coming to Christ in the church age. We know this from Acts chapter 10 verses 9 through 15. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a curtain I'm sorry, a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou unclean. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. The whole lesson here was that Peter needed to preach to the Gentiles, not just the Jews. So God illustrated it by giving Peter unclean animals to eat in a vision, animals that picture Gentiles just as they do throughout the Bible goats, pigs, dogs, vipers, asses, etc. Now let's get the full picture. The animals. Filling into Noah's Ark 2 by 2 were a witness to the entire world that something very different was about to happen. Yet people ignored this witness and perished in their sins when judgment came. Only those in the Ark were safe. Likewise, the unsaved world has been seeing sinners come to Christ for nearly 2,000 years that they have ignored this witness and have perished in their sins. The final generation prior to Jesus' return will also ignore the witness of the saved And perish in their sins when God's judgment strikes the earth. Only those in Christ will be safe. The purpose of bringing Noah's family and animals onto the ark was to preserve and reproduce. Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 and 3. The original commission of Genesis 1.28 was renewed after the flood in Genesis 9.1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Satan did not prevail against Noah and his family. They and the animals lived through the flood and repopulated the planet for the glory of God. Likewise, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Matthew 16.18 Though most professed Saint Christians will fall into this apostasy of the last days, second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse three, Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 to 22, a faithful remnant will be preserved. Christ's church will be preserved and it will continue to reproduce itself until the Lord calls his people home. And may we become more focused than ever and be found faithful to our Lord as the days of Noah are repeated in our time. And the reason why the days of Noah are being repeated is because Satan has blinded their minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3-4 to four, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Full provision has been made for the redemption and spiritual provision of all mankind none are excluded you are not excluded i am not excluded there is no one excluded we can run to the cross for the pardon of our sins the cross is our only refuge from the penalty of sin calvary is the only hope for lost souls the cross represents the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ the shed blood of the cross is our only hope of redemption In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. We can go to his church for our spiritual fellowship and worship because God has instituted the church as a place to worship him and to enjoy his fellowship and the fellowship of his people. We have the throne of God to go to in the time of trouble to find help in the time of need. God has given us a refuge from the troubles of life and the problems that we can't solve. He is ever near when we call upon his name. We have heaven at our disposal every hour of the day and night. We have the word of God to find strength and to grow in the grace and knowledge of God for maturity. The Bible is God's heavenly textbook to teach us and to feed us. We can find all we need in it to grow into spiritual giants if we will only read, study, meditate upon it, and live by it. It is all we need to live by and die by. We have the Spirit of God to lean on and find our direction in life, plus comfort in all our trials and temptations. He is our ever-present help in the time of need. Our constant daily prayer should be, Come Holy Spirit, shed your light on our soul." Reveal the love of Christ in our heart and unfold the Savior to our spiritual sight. Let your influence be felt and seen in my life. Amen. Jesus said in John 15 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Jesus is not the only Not only the vine, he is also the stem that supports the branches. Along with that, he is also the root that supplies the stem and the branches with what they need to produce fruit. This is the reason he said, without me, ye can do nothing. We are totally helpless and hopeless without him. Why do so many refuse to come to him for salvation? He is the hope of all mankind. Why do people continue in sin and reject him day after day and even die without receiving him into their heart? The Bible teaches us that their minds are blinded by the God of this age. The God of this age is Satan, the devil, or Lucifer. Hell is populated with those who heard and heard the gospel and refused to come to Christ simply because their minds were blinded by him. He has set out to destroy and deceive all he can by blinding their minds. He knows he's headed to the lake of fire, and he wants to take all he possibly can with him. The gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke and John build the life of Christ around seven key events and seven geographic sites. The devil places doubt and deception on every one of these historic and biblical facts. He blinds their minds about Jesus in order to damn them into a devil's hell. He blinds their minds about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ in the city of Bethlehem, The world denies, fights, and rejects the virgin birth. God said in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. If the devil can blind the minds of men that the birth of Jesus was an ordinary birth, then he could present Jesus as an ordinary man and not the Son of God with a supernatural virgin birth. This would make him an ordinary man and therefore incapable of paying the sin debt for mankind." The baptism of Jesus Christ in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. The world teaches the error that baptism is a way of salvation. The devil and his crowd teaches that water baptism is essential for salvation. Many are blinded to the fact that teaching baptism as essential to salvation is error. Salvation is not by water, but by the precious blood of Christ. By Jesus being baptized, he was not teaching salvation by baptism. He needed no salvation. He was not lost. He was God in the flesh. He was all God and all man at the same time. He was teaching, however, that we need to be baptized before we enter into his service. And this is exactly what he did. His baptism was the beginning of his ministry. The temptation of Jesus Christ in the wilderness. The world refuses to accept the sinless life of Christ. If the devil can cause any man or woman to believe that Jesus committed even one sin— he can blind their minds to the truth and deceive them that Jesus can't be their redeemer, because he would be an ordinary man and not the sinless and spotless son of God. The temptation in the wilderness proved that Christ was and is divine. He was tempted in all points as we are, and yet he did not sin. As the sinless Son of God, He qualified to pay the sin debt of our redemption. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ on Mount Hermon. The world denies His power and His glory. On this mountain, Jesus proves He is God through His power. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He is the all-powerful Christ. Nothing is impossible with Christ. If the devil can blind the minds of men to diminish the power and the authority of Christ, he can deceive men and women to not believe that he can forgive them of their sins. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ on Golgotha. The world refuses to believe that Jesus became sin for us and took our place on Calvary. The devil blinds humanity to believing that Jesus was murdered or killed. The fact is, Jesus willingly laid down his life and he willingly took it up again for our sins. Jesus not only bore our sins on the cross when he was crucified, but he became sin for us and took our place. It should have been you and I that were sacrificed because we were guilty of death. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the garden tomb, the world denies that he arose on the third day. They deny he's a living Savior. Multitudes will try and teach and deceive souls that someone stole his body away. They teach that a visible bodily resurrection of the Son of God did not take place. The Bible teaches in Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The devil loves to deceive sinners that Jesus did not die and rise again from the dead. To blind their minds with this rotten doctrine is to give them no hope in this life or the one to come. The ascension of Jesus Christ from the Mount of Olives the world refuses to accept that he returned to heaven to prepare a place for all the saints of God. Hebrews chapter ten verse twelve. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins for ever, sat down on the right hand of God. How you view these seven events in your life will affect your life with happiness or with misery. To deny any or all of these facts will determine where your soul will spend eternity. Many get more from the miracles, the deeds, the parables, and the works of Christ than from Christ himself. They major on the miracles he performed and live a life of sight, not a life of faith. Jesus must not be just a part of our life. He is our life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Without him... We have the life. We are dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word quickened means made alive. That is, before we are saved, we are dead, and after we are saved, we are made alive. So he is our life. Acts seventeen twenty-eight. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. The devil's in the business to blind the minds of men and women from seeing that they have a precious soul that will live forever in heaven or in hell according as to how they prepare. He has several methods of blinding the heart of the unbeliever. Many join up with cults. The cults are the religious who are working to obtain salvation from the Lord and those who teach that salvation is obtained by doing certain religious deeds and works. They will teach religious rites and rituals that you must do. Everything except repenting, believing, and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Cults are those organizations who place the act of worship upon a person, a place, or a thing other than the Lord Jesus Christ. They teach doctrines contrary to the God of the Bible or the teaching of the Bible. They will specialize on certain days and holidays, the forbidding of eating certain meats, the forbidding to marry, and a host of other things the Bible does not teach. They will twist and warp the word of God to read as they desire to read in order to accomplish what they wanted to say. They, the way a cult can be identified is in the way they look at Jesus. Almost all cults will recognize Jesus as a person. They may teach his existence and history. They may recognize him as a great teacher or a historian. The cults will not recognize him as the only begotten son of God incarnate. That is, they will not recognize him as God in the flesh. They may recognize him as a God in the flesh, but not the very God in the flesh. This is a distinguishing mark of a cult. There is a difference between the cults and the occult. Cults are false religions, and the occult is dealing with the supernatural, known many times as the psychic phenomena. This is relying on demons or spirits to achieve their goals. The dictionary defines an occult as hidden, secret, secret, and mysterious. This has been promoted by the New Age movement, books, magazines, movies, heavy metal rock bands, etc. It also includes astrology, calling up the dead, magic and magical arts, divination, horoscopes, fortune telling, tarot cards, tea leaf readings, spirit guides, Wicca, witchcraft, sorcery, voodoo, Ouija boards, Freemasonry, Worship of Satan, Harry Potter, etc. The key ingredient to the occult is rebellion, especially in three areas. Number one, rebellion against parents. We have never seen this played out like we are seeing it today. The devil has made an all-out attack on the home. The biblical home as we know it in the past seldom exists. Discipline has been taken out. The Bible is no longer the rule book for Christian education. The children are allowed to do as they please. Parents, in wanting to see their children, have it better than they had it have spoiled them, and we now have a new breed of children. They are raised with no accountability and refuse to carry any responsibility. Therefore, they refuse to work and make a living for themselves. Instead, they rely on their parents to keep them up, always looking for a handout. This crowd even carries a new name. They are called the Millennials. These usually have low or no morals. Very little respect for anyone, especially their parents. They do as they please, go as they please, and live as they please. They rebel against any restraints of any kind and refuse to be told what to do. Their life is a life of drama and demands. Since they're raised without the influence of the Word of God, they refuse to listen to what it says. They will rebel against such passages as Ephesians 6, 1-3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Rebellion against society is also very prevalent today. There was a time when children were taught to respect authority and the people that they came in contact with. We've been told for so long now that the individual individual's rights are the highest meaning in life that we have begun to believe it. And we as a society have become a society of rebels. We're refusing to conform to pretty much anything and everything whenever we feel we have the right to do so. If we don't like the speed limit, we just ignore it along with about 90% of the other drivers on the road. If kids don't like the dress codes in school, they just wear what they want and their parents defend their rights rather than demanding they obey the rules because everybody is doing it. In just about every aspect of society nowadays, the rule is that there are no rules or that we have the right to ignore the ones we don't like. We have become in all reality, a society of rebels. Doesn't that sound like the days of Noah? Just like I mentioned earlier, there is a rebellion in our land concerning religion and especially Christianity. I just saw an article which I shared on my Facebook about A pastor, Greg Laurie, had a harvest crusade and he had a poster up with him holding a Bible and he was just announcing the dates of his crusade and the people that were going to be performing there. And someone got offended and contacted the billboard company and asked them to take the sign down. So he redid the picture and took the part where he was holding the Bible out and put it back up and still that was not good enough so someone else was offended and then they had to take the whole thing down it's amazing how such a minority of people can cause people to stop sharing their faith even just holding a Bible is offensive now There are other countries where the Bible has been changed by the government. And people in today's time, I know that everyone here will not agree with me that's hearing me. But I'm telling you, there is a real reason why there are so many different translations of the Bible. There is so many reasons why. Because it is confusion. It is causing confusion in the body of Christ. And if you go into a church service and you sing a hymn and everybody has a different hymnal with different words to the song in it, how are you all going to be singing along in unison? You're not. So I have this Bible over here and this verse says this or this verse is gone all together. So this is to cause confusion in the body of Christ and to water down and dilute God's word. I will be doing a podcast on that in the upcoming weeks. And as I stated, you are free to do what you decide in your life as far as when you read the Bible. But I'm just stating to you that you have to be really, really careful with these newer translations and what they are removing. Because it is watering down his deity, hell. Sodomites, which are the gay, which is an abomination to God, and people are acting like it's okay, and it's not. All these things are watered down in these newer versions of the Bible. And we have to recognize this. We have to recognize that. You know, like who, who told these men that made that Bible, the newer ones, to do this? This was not the men that God intended to write this Bible. It wasn't. And so while there is benefit in reading the word of God, and if that is all that you have or that's all that you know, then that's fine. But when you know to do good, to do it is not, it is sin. And what I'm trying to tell you is that there is a reason behind all this. And if you continue to watch and continue to watch these translations and continue to see how watered down they're going to become. It's just going to get less and less like scripture and more and more like worldly vernacular. The message? Are you no. Not at all. That is not not a Bible. That is some kind of paraphrase from the author's mind and some of it is really blasphemous if you really read it. It is not good. It is against it is, it is attacks against God's pure word, attacks against Christianity. It is a religious and the religious and spiritual matters. This is an attitude that simply can't be in the heart of one who desires forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven. A heart of rebellion cannot coexist with a desire to please God. We can live to please ourselves, or we can live to please God, but not both. As we might expect, God doesn't approve of the mindset that is set on rebelling against anything and everything, especially authority. When Joshua took charge of the Israelites after the death of Moses, God told him in Joshua one eighteen, Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment and will not hearken unto thy words and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. Samuel told King Saul in First Samuel fifteen twenty three, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Some people are so blinded by Satan, they can't see the need of being born again. We preach and we preach. The men of God preach and preach, and, and we share radio podcasts like this, what I'm doing here today, being a speaker. We pray and we pray. We weep and we weep and we see no movement at all in their heart, it seems like. And it's heartbreaking. I have spoken to people year after year, and they haven't moved from where they were. And it seems as though their heart's calloused. It seems what they're hearing is just going in one ear and out the other. As this happens, we wrestle with the Lord for their souls and keep crying and praying that they'll finally hear. And we wonder, how could one just ignore the need of their soul? You will plan ahead for a year to go on vacation. A year. You will save money. You will sacrifice for it. You will make sure you have your ticket stamped. But ask yourself this question. The longest trip that you're going to take, you could go on vacation for that whole like year. But you have to come home so where are you going to come home to when you take your long trip where you have to plan for where you're going to be in eternity you have to get a hold of the pure word of god and study it and meditate in it day and night memorize scriptures we are in the last days for sure we are in the last of the last days the calendar that we have is different than the jewish calendar and the Jewish calendar is more is accurate and is stating how many years we have been since Christ came and died for us. And the time was about six thousand years that we were here. Um and we're we're winding down here. We're getting wound down to the last of the last days. And deception is rampant. All these different Bibles everywhere saying one thing and another or not at all. It's just not right. I remember my grandmother had a Bible years ago, many years ago. And everybody's Bible in the houses were all the same. What happened? Ask yourself that. What If your parents or your grandparents, according to what age you are, had a Bible in your house? What version was it? What did they read when they went to church? And were they not all on one accord? Were they not all memorizing the word and studying in it? Just causes you to think. Why are they so many translations? We have been blinded so much in this world of what is truly important. Only the power of God can convict people now in America and across the world and convince them to hear and receive the gospel message. Blinded minds cause a deaf ear, and our only hope is to keep sharing the word. We need to keep praying and keep weeping over them and keep trusting the Lord to open their blind eyes with the power of the Holy Ghost. We trust that the next prayer or the next message, the next witness, the next track, or the next church visit will be the one that will break the stronghold of Satan upon their hearts and open their minds to the truth. Our desire is to hear them shout the shout of a newborn babe in Christ. I want to share with you a little bit before we end today's podcast about my testimony. I thought that I was saved when I was little because I used to pray every night. And it wasn't until I was 21 years of age and I was listening to the Unshackled program from Pacific Garden Mission that I realized that I would die and go to hell because I'm a sinner. And I would say my prayers and I just thought, just because I wasn't a murderer, I would be okay with God. But I was in deception. I was blinded. And just like 2 Corinthians 4 said, 3-4, to four, If your gospel's hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Thus the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Thankfully, I was listening to the radio that day. And I heard the gospel and I went on my knees and asked the Lord God, Jesus Christ, to save me. I repented of my sins, confessed Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And I am seeking to share what I have learned of Jesus Christ with other people. So many people are in for a good time. And you, listener, I would like to say, if you are not saved, you do not know Jesus Christ in the pardon of your sins and as your Lord and Savior. If you were to pass suddenly from time to eternity in your present condition, what word could truthfully be used to speak of your final place, heaven or hell, for eternity? Eternity. Think about that. If you look back at your life, no matter what age you are, you can remember things just like they were yesterday. I'm quite sure. I remember the day that my oldest daughter was born. She's 23. And I remember it like yesterday. I have four children, so I remember all their births like yesterday. And what I'm trying to say here is that when we step out of this world here and into endless time, which is eternity, Where we have chosen to be while we're here in this limited time will be where we are for all time. And we need to choose right. We need to choose wisely. Because the Bible is playing itself out right in our faces. And we need to make sure that we make Jesus Christ our Lord, Savior, and Master and come under His command. We need to consider his character and follow him as Lord. He loved us so much before we committed one sin that he died a horrific death for us. That's why I use that scripture, Romans 5.8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you, for me, and everyone. And so many are going to not go with him. So many. Many are called, but the chosen are few. And so many people will go when they're, they pass from this world and think that they're okay. And they, he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. And that is why this podcast is on here every week so that I can share the word of God with y'all so that somebody can hear. And be saved. The blessed Bible and the blessed hope. The blessed hope is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except by him. We need to stop trying to come to Jesus on our own merit. We can't buy our way, bribe our way, lie our way. We can't go to another God. Like Oprah said, she is deceived. So many Christians like her. And follow her. We need to pray for her because she started off in the church and wound up. Look where she's at. She's successful world, world success, fame, fortune. But when she takes her last breath, where would she be? Ask yourself that question. I know in other countries that may be hearing this, you know, you might have heard the name Oprah Winfrey and this, that, and the other. And I know she's done humanitarian things and all that. But what I'm trying to say is that we need to all recognize that all these people that, like I said about the hero worship and the idolizing of them. These people are going to wind up somewhere in eternity. And once that happens, once your last breath happens, Aretha Franklin just died. She was on this earth for 70-something years. She was just talking to another singer, talking about going on. She was going to stop going on tour, and she was going to record some more albums. She didn't know that that day she died was her last. And I pray that she was right with God before she passed away. But the thing about what I'm saying is here, when you take your last breath, you are only gone from this world. You're somewhere else. That's what I'm saying to you. Every cemetery that you see, those people there that used to walk on the same earth that you're walking on are somewhere Where will you be at when your day is the last one? We are actually in the days of Noah. And the ark is being built right now. You better get on it. Because if you don't, you will be left outside of the ark of safety. The only ark of safety is Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. So we need to come to him, trusting him now. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. John chapter 3 verse 36. Don't let Satan continue to blind your mind. And make you think this world is all that it is because it's not. If you are not born again, pray now and ask Jesus to forgive you and save you from your sins. Now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may never come for you. Just remember, do not let Satan blind your mind. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. I am so thankful that you were here tuned in today. And Heavenly Father, in Christ Jesus' holy name, I pray that you will bless us and you will keep us. I pray that you will make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. I pray that you will lift up your countenance upon us and fill us with your peace. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the blessings that you have already bestowed upon us. I ask you, Lord, to cleanse our minds from all thoughts and preconceived ideas that do not conform to your perfect will and destiny for our lives. I ask you, Lord, to prevent our minds from deceiving us in any way by covering us with your precious blood that we may believe and think in your will for our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray this blessing with thanksgiving. And I thank you, Lord, for giving us the blessing that is talked about in your word in Numbers chapter 6, verse 23 to 26. To God be the glory. Amen. Please tune in next week to Precious Pearls Ministries Radio. I am Sister Dana Carter, your host. And it's been my pleasure to share the word of God with you today. And again, you may email me any prayer requests. At Precious Pearls Ministries Radio at rcrnetwork.com. And if you would like to support this ministry, you can do so as well. That would be a blessing to us to keep us on the air. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means you. You have a blessed week and stay safe. I will be praying for all of you that are listening. Please share with your friends and family. You can download this message and listen to it again. And I encourage you to do so. Please share because you're sharing the precious pearls, which is the word of God. God bless you. When you discover the kingdom, it is worth everything you have to give up because you gain eternity with the Lord, the creator of your soul. And without him, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How precious is a pearl how precious a soul is to God. Thank you for listening to Precious Pearls Radio with Sister Dana Rankin. This broadcast is copyrighted by Precious Pearls Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.